Okay. If you want to find your seat and hopefully grab the notes. Sorry, it's been a little hectic on my end this morning. There's notes in the back. I don't know if those got passed out. I brought those over late. So if you want that, you should have that. So we're going to, we'll see how far we get this morning. I don't know how far we'll get. I, with my notes, I don't think we'll cover the whole thing, and that's okay. So let me begin with a word of prayer. We'll do some quick review, and then we'll get into this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you are good, kind, gracious, you're patient um, with us, that constantly we um, do not pause to slow down and simply give you thanks. I'm just thankful for the provisions we have, um, families, homes, jobs, food, um, all these come from your good and gracious hand towards us. We do not deserve it. Thank you for the weather this morning. Um, for those of us who like the, the cold a little bit, um, and Lord, we also see just your goodness in the sunshine. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've given us. Just pray that you would bless this morning as we um, again look at introspection and self-examination and how um, we would live the Christian life and, and bring you glory and what you want us to do. Just pray that you would be with us. And help us to continue on in fighting the good fight of the faith. Pray that you would bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, let me get my iPad open here. So, we've been talking about understanding ourselves. Um, mainly, uh, spent, I think, two weeks ago looking at that, how we understand our conscience, um, our minds, our affections, our will, how that all relates to learning to handle ourselves. I think that's a big part of, of introspection is help, self-help, biblical self-help, okay? Um, how do you... How do you talk to yourself rather than um, listen to yourself? And last week we, we went through the Psalms, um, maybe five or six of those that were hopefully helpful. Um, and maybe you, you wrote some of those down and those will be where you turn back to. I think the Psalms are a great place to start. Um, a helpful Lloyd-Jones quote, um, in all of this, the main art in the matter of spiritual living, how to live the Christian life is to know how to handle yourself. That's what we've been talking about. That's really what going forward we're, we're dealing with. How do we handle ourselves? You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, and he's quoting Psalm 42 here, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering about in this depressed, unhappy way, you really got to turn the corner there. Um, you don't need to spend too much time thinking about your thinking, right? Um, and if you're overwhelmed with what's going on, the Psalms are a great place to start, okay? Psalm 42, um, I mentioned, was a great, great place to start, and there's some other ones in there. Again, Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What are you doing? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And so I hinted at this last week, um, well, we actually spent a lot of time talking about this. Very briefly at this point, the first thing we have to learn is what the psalmist learned. We must learn to take ourselves in hand. I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. I think this is so key right here. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So you sometimes just got to get out of your own head and talk back to yourself. And it's really, really helpful. 
rather than, than listening to ourselves. And I, I mentioned this week one. I think it's helpful to go back to, like, kind of what the psalmist says here, ask questions of yourself rather than making statements. That's what he does. So I think I mentioned this, you know, introspection is kind of condemning statements. Hey, you're bad. You've done this, blah, 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 blah. I think that's more of the introspection side. I think the healthy biblical self-examination is that asking yourself questions and then responding to them, answering them, answering those questions with Scripture. Like the psalmist, he asks himself why he's in this condition rather than just saying you're a loser. He asks himself, what are you doing? And then he tells himself what to do. And so this morning we're just unpacking that more. We're just going to keep unpacking this. How do we talk to ourselves? How do we counsel ourselves? How do we develop a better theology of of self-examination? And specifically, this morning I want to talk about, deal with, what I think is the number one ultimate cause of introspection, which leads to spiritual depression. The number one cause. Sin. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I should have had a drum roll. Okay. Typically, some sin that you've done. Okay. That's, that's what we're going to deal with. Now, there could be cases where maybe you've been sinned against and that causing you issues. We might talk about that maybe later on. But I think ultimately... The number one cause of introspection is some sin, okay? I think it ultimately goes back to this. Some sin that you've committed that you just can't get out of your mind. I can't believe I've done this, and that just weighs you down. You're stuck with yourself and your thoughts and your you know, self-examination. Just, you know, you're just condemning yourself, and you're stuck in the mud, and you're spiritually depressed, and you ain't going nowhere, okay? I would say that we only sin in two states, okay? You either sin as an unbeliever or you sin as a believer, okay? Like, you can't sin any other way. You can't sin when we're in glory. You're either an unbeliever and you sin or you're a believer and you sin, okay? And I want to look at both of those. Each person is different. Your, Your conscience, your personality, I don't know which one is maybe more of a struggle for you. Some sin you committed before you were a believer. Um, or some sin after. By the way, those blanks there, I'll just jump to, it's before and after. One and two, those are those blanks before and after. I'll just give you that. Um, And we'll spend the first time talking about before. You introspect, and this leads you to spiritual depression because of something you did before you became a Christian or something you did after you became a Christian. I think typically one of those is, is the issue, okay? Um, before we unpack those, I think there's some general groundwork. Again, a lot of this is review. If, if you're like, man, I feel like he's saying the same thing. Well, I kind of am saying the same thing over and over again because we need to be reminded of the same thing over and over again. That's why we go back to the gospel over and over again. That's why we're going to talk about the gospel a lot this morning because that's what we keep going back to. We keep reminding ourselves of the same thing because we are prone to forget, okay? Um, first, I just say all of this, again, we are in the fight of faith, right? We are fighting the good fight of the Christian faith. You know, this high life theology of, you know, now I'm happy all the day. I mean, I like Isaac Watts. He writes a lot of good hymns, but that's not a really good line, okay? Like, a lot of us in our Christian experience simply are not happy all the day, all the time. There are hard things that happen either to us or hard things that we bring about by our own sin, okay? And so we need to realize that we are in the struggle. And sometimes that means we're going to have serious, sometimes hard, difficult, unpleasant thoughts about sin. We're just going, that's going to happen if we are in this fight of faith. I think I quoted this week one. It's so good. The fact that you are unhappy or troubled is no indication that you are not a Christian. Indeed, 
I would go further and say that if you have never had any trouble in your Christian life, I should very much doubt whether you are a Christian at all. Okay? And so rather than thinking, wow, I'm an odd duck because I'm, I'm struggling with sin. No, that's, that's not the case, right? This is ordinary day in, day out Christianity. That's the Holy Spirit at work through the word, pricking your conscience to bring you back to the walk, right? Okay? This is not something that, wow, you're, you're strange. You've got issues. No, this is we're in the fight of faith. And so it's, it's not a good thing if we've never been in that spiritual conflict. So I'd say, take heart, cheer up, start there, okay? Maybe, maybe you know, this is, maybe you guys are in this because you need help with this. I think in one sense we all need help with this. Or maybe you're helping someone else, okay? Well, I think you start here with them, right? Like, hey, cheer up, you're doing okay. Like, you're in the fight. And, and realize, if you're in that fight, I think this is where Christian and Pilgrim's progress is so helpful. When he fights Apollyon, it's not like he just strikes him down and he's good. Like, he takes some wounds. It's tough, right? The the spiritual conflict, you're going to take some wounds. And so, maybe you need to preach this to yourself, or if you're helping someone else, say, hey, let's realize we're going to get wounded in this fight, but let's pick up that shield of faith and that, you know, sword of the Spirit, and let's keep pressing on, okay? Let's get into this conflict together. And you're on the right path. Maybe we need to work on some things, but we're, we're moving in the right direction, okay? So number one, I think you guys have this on your notes. Let, let's start with walking through introspection, uh, looking inward, because of some sin you committed before you came to Christ, okay? Those blanks were before and after, okay? That's before and after. Some sin you committed before you were a believer. This is not uncommon. Someone comes to Christ, they have joy, they are just, they are on cloud nine, man. They are loving the Christian life. And then like five years into their Christian experience, I don't know if it's some sermon or something happens. Maybe it's 37 years later. They remember, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that thing when I was like in seventh grade. I, I can't believe I sinned in that way. I, I can't believe I did that. Okay. And then that leads to this kind of rabbit hole where you're just stuck. And it's, man, I, I know Christ died to save sinners, but I mean, can he believe like what I really did way back then? I'll just say this. If you guys sit and think about it long enough, we can all have that, okay? If you just sit and like, what silly, foolish, sinful thing have I done? Hmm, Let me sit and think about it. You will come up with something, okay? If you want to be spiritually depressed, you can find a way to do it, okay? Um, So you don't need to camp out there, okay? But we can all have that experience where you're stuck because of some sin that you committed before you came to Christ. You're down in the depths and you're, you're stuck in the mud. Does that make sense? You guys get that picture, okay? Maybe that's you or that's someone else. I want to walk through, in both of these, the cause. Cause, okay? Why does this happen, okay? What is the cause of this condition? I'm just taking this from, from Lloyd-Jones. Number one, I'd say this. It could just be an attack of Satan and his legions, okay? It can be that. Ephesians 6 makes that very clear, okay? That Satan and his forces, they cannot take our salvation away, we're secure in Christ, but they can rob us of our joy in that salvation, okay? And so you could be struggling simply because it's an attack of the devil, a a spiritual conflict. And so we already talked about this, but what do you do? What's the solution? If that's the cause, what's the cure? Well, you go back to Ephesians 6. You take up the shield of faith. You take up the sword of the Spirit, and you fight that battle, okay? Continually until the foe is vanquished. You preached yourself that I need to have faith, okay? I think we get that. I think, secondly, I think the other cause 
of this condition, why you're stuck in spiritual depression and introspection, I think this is more common. The reason why you're stuck in this is because you don't fully understand the doctrine of salvation. You have not applied the doctrine of salvation to your thinking. Okay? You have to go back to the gospel. This is so good from Lloyd-Jones. Let me put this plainly and bluntly in order that I may emphasize it even at the risk of being misunderstood. There is a sense in which the one thing that these people, these people are stuck in spiritual depression because of some sin they committed before they came to Christ. There is a sense in which the one thing that these people who are in this condition must not do is to pray to be delivered from it. You must stop praying at times because your prayer may just be reminding you of the problem and keeping your mind fixed upon it. So you must stop praying and think. Work out your doctrine. This is really helpful, okay? There is a sense in which you need to stop saying, Lord, please help me stop thinking these thoughts. We're going to talk about that. How do we deal with some unwanted thoughts? But rather than just saying, Lord, please help me feel better. Help me to not think about this. You need to stop and say, wait, what's the gospel? What's true? I need to go back to the Bible, the doctrine of salvation. See, a person in this state, a person struggling with some sin they committed before they came to Christ, has not fully applied the gospel to their thinking. We need to go back to what the gospel is. Rather than praying, Lord, help me get rid of this thought, we need to go back to what's the gospel and reapply it to yourself. We need to go back to what's of most importance. And I think a good place to start is 1 Timothy 1. The example of Paul. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. This is so good. Paul's saying that one of the reasons why Christ saved him, why Jesus saved Paul, was to be an example for all time, the power of God's grace, right? We already talked about this. Paul was a persecutor of the church, okay? He hated Jesus. He was not just some neutral person, not that there is anyone neutral, but he hated Jesus Christ. He was a persecutor of the church. He murdered Christians, and the Lord saved him, okay? He saved a horrible person, we would say, right? He saved a wretched sinner. And I think, as Paul is saying here, one of the reasons for this was to show us for all time that God's grace is for each and every person, okay? The person that we deem to be the most wretched, okay? There is no chance for them because of how wicked and evil they are. No, Christ died for sinners, and we are all sinners. You have this quote, I think, at the bottom of your page. It takes the same grace of God to save the most respectable person in the world as the most lawless person in the world. And so if you know someone who's struggling with some grievous sin that they've committed, you take them to a passage like this, and you say, hey, look at the example of Paul. I mean, he was a wretched sinner, and Christ saved him. Do you believe that? See, it goes back to the mind, right? You need to submit to the Word of God. Do you believe that what the Bible says is true about what Christ has done with your sin? Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you submit? Or maybe you preach yourself. Colossians 2. 
Verse 13, and you who are dead in your trespasses, he's talking to the church and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You name it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so your sins, you're preaching this to yourself, you're helping uh, your fellow believer, you're helping them. Hey, each and every sin that you have committed, no matter how wicked and sinful they may have been, they have been set aside, nailed to the cross. They're done. Or maybe it's Philippians 3.13. Uh, Mark preached on this, I think, two weeks ago, right? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So this is Paul pressing on. You know, this need to gain Christ and know him and the power of his resurrection. This is what I do. I don't consider that I've attained that. I mean, if there's anyone who could say that they have attained it, it was Paul, and he doesn't. He's pressing on in this Christian life, and what does he continue to do? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You need to press on with Paul and forget what lies behind. Um, I'm paraphrasing Lloyd-Jones here in this chapter. He says it's an absolute waste of time to sit and dwell on what you've done in the past if you can do nothing about it. It's, you can't do anything about it. You did it. Bummer. We've all done things that we regret because it's sin. Dwelling on that will do absolutely nothing except cause failure in the present. To be miserable in the present because of some failure in the past is a sheer waste of time and energy. You can sit down and be miserable and you can go round and round in circles of regret for the rest of your life, but it will make no difference to what you've done. <laughs> okay? So that's not the way forward is to just sit and go, wow, how bad I am. That's not the way forward. Just dwelling in the past is going to cause failure in the present and in the future. So you're taking these Bible passages, you're taking those verses, or maybe you're taking Psalm 42, and you're saying, hey, why are you cast down? What are you doing? God is my God, and He is my salvation. And so you're telling yourself, or you're telling the other person, you're helping them. Don't pray to stop thinking these thoughts. You need to work out the doctrine of salvation in all its glory, right? Does that make sense? Sometimes you've got to stop praying about something. It sounds weird, but that's really what we have to do. You've got to work out the doctrine of salvation. Okay, so we're going to do a pop quiz. Pop quiz, but I'm going to give you even the answers. So it's not even a quiz. It's just literally just read. Did you sin as an unbeliever? Yes. Yes. What should you do about it? Preach the gospel to yourself. Okay? That's what you do. We on the same page here? Okay. That's what you do. Now let's move to our second main point. That's point two that you've got, okay? Dealing with sin as a believer, okay? You're introspecting, you're in this state of spiritual depression because of some sin you committed after you came to Christ, okay? You get that? So there's a point in time where the Lord saved you in his sovereign grace, he saved you, okay? You sinned before that and you're going to sin after it, okay? So, so here we go, another pop quiz. Will you sin as a believer? What do you think you should do about it? Preach the gospel to yourself. Okay? This is not complicated, but we just need to be reminded of this. Okay? You keep going back to this. I think in both, the answer is the same. We apply the gospel to our conscience. So you have to be filling your mind with the truth of Scripture. If you're not, you're probably going to be stuck in the mud. Okay? You go back to the principles of the gospel. I think you go through the exact same passages we went through. But there's also some other ones we can apply, and that's where I want to spend a little bit more time in 2 Corinthians 7, okay? Um, I think it's the same thing, but how we apply that to our conscience might differ 
from case to case. And so, yeah, turn there. 2 Corinthians 7, okay? I'm going to have it on the screen, but it's, it's a little small, so if you guys have good eyesight, you can read it, but I just encourage you to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 is where we're going to start. This is a really helpful passage in terms of thinking through our thoughts, our sorrow, our grief over sin. This is a really helpful place to start. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. I'm going to stop there, okay? In context, Paul is saying, um, he's saying that he was grieved in some letter he had to send, okay? There's a good chance that um, actually what we have is First and Second Corinthians is actually, First Corinthians is actually like Second Corinthians and like Second Corinthians is actually like Fourth Corinthians. There's probably some missing letters that we have um, in God's providence. It's not important that we would have them. Um, but there's some incidents where you're reading through. It's like, okay, he's, he's talking to this guy and okay, they need to turn and, you know, forgive the guy. Maybe he's talking about the guy in First Corinthians 5. There's just some, maybe some incidents where, I mean, think about this. We don't have, this isn't, this isn't crazy. We don't have every single letter. We don't have every single sermon that Paul preached, okay? He did a lot of stuff, okay? And we don't have all of it. In God's providence, it's not in the canon. We don't have it in the New Testament, and that's okay. We don't need it. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Um, but it seems that there's maybe, you know, something going on here that, you know, what's this letter? It could be 1 Corinthians, but more than likely, there's another letter. I'm not going to get into that, okay? For our intents and purposes, it doesn't really matter at all, Okay? What's important here, it says they're grieved into repenting, okay? So there's some sin going on in Corinth, and you can just read 1 Corinthians. They've, they've got issues, okay? They're, they're jacked up, okay? Um, they need to fix some things, okay? And so he's rebuking them. Um, like I said, we don't know exactly what's going on. Could be the guy in 2 Corinthians 2 that they need to turn and forgive. He could be the same guy in 1 Corinthians 5, whatever, Okay. This is important. Paul is rebuking a church of believers. Paul is rebuking a church of believers. Justified saints. They are in Christ. Okay? They are Christians. But yet, he says he rebukes them. Okay? There's some sin going on. They're in the process of sanctification, and they've sinned. You guys clear with me on that? It's not complicated, but we've got to start there. Because this should be a comfort. Okay? They were grieved into repenting, is what it says. They felt a what? A godly grief. What does this look like? Verse 10. Verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay, so there's two different types of grief, godly and worldly. You guys see that? There's godly grief and there's worldly grief. Okay, I think just this morning we're just going to cover godly grief. Next week we'll talk about worldly grief and unpack that a little more. But I'll look at the cause and effects 
of both. Okay, so those are those principles we're going back to. How does this happen? What's the cause, the causation, and what does it lead to? Okay, what's the cause and what's the effects? Okay, number one, godly grief. Godly grief. It's, it's literally in the text, grief according to God. Okay, sorrow in accordance with God. Okay, in other words, is this a good thing? Yes, right? Like, if this is in accordance with God, that's what we want. That's good. We want to be in accordance with God. Okay? So this is a good thing. This is an experience that God wants you to go through. This is the type of sorrow you should have. God does not want you to sin, but if you sin, this is how you should respond. Does that make sense? There is godly grief. This is the type of sorrow or grief that is God-centered. It's in accordance with him. This is what he would want. I've done something that's sinful against God. I have sinned against him. I've recognized that, and that's why I'm sorrowful, okay? This is godly grief. I think this is helpful right up front, okay? And I think this gets back to introspection and examining ourselves, okay? Having sorrow-filled thoughts, having grief over your sin is good, okay? You guys see that in the passage there? Like, that's good. God wants you to go through that experience, okay? You should have godly sorrow, okay? And I think this is kind of, it goes back to week one where I was talking about identity and union with Christ. I think it goes back to that, but just in our current cultural climate, in everything that's just going on currently in our culture, You know, there's kind of this, you know, self and identity, and you just need to think positive thoughts, right? You know, if if there's something that causes you to be grieved, stop thinking about it. You need to get rid of that. Don't don't go there. That's contrary to this passage, right? That's contrary to the gospel, okay? It's actually not true. We sometimes do need to have some hard, difficult thoughts or conversations with ourselves, right? So, no, you don't need to think positively. Sometimes you need to think negatively about your sin in in accordance with God, godly grief. And we need to confess our sins like David does in Psalm 32, right? David doesn't say, you know, I just completely set aside my sin and stop thinking about it. No, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. He says, yes, this is true. This is what I have done. I acknowledged it. We have to start there. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I revealed it to you. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And this is why this is so key. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, right? We have to start there. We have to acknowledge the sin. We have to reveal it, not cover it up. We have to confess it to the Lord and maybe to someone else, right? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So you have to go there. I'm just going to put 2 Corinthians 7 back. So that's the cause, okay? The cause of this godly grief is sin. Some sin in the life of the believer. And it ought to bring about this godly grief. Now, what's the effect? Look back at verse 10. What's the effect that this godly grief has? What does it do? Verse 10, it produces, it does something, it produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So this godly grief brings about salvation, okay? You might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's writing to believers. They're already saved. So what's going on here? Okay, well, 
partly, that's true. You should go like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I think what's going on here is that repentant people continue to repent, right? Saved people continue to confess their sins, right? And they evidence, they show evidence that they are saved by that process, right? A non-saved person doesn't confess their sins, right? An unbeliever doesn't confess their sins. They don't have godly grief that leads to this repentance. You could say the very reason they are saved and have salvation, in other words, the very fact that they have union with Christ is the very reason why they repent, okay? The Holy Spirit, through the writings of Paul, in this case, 2 Corinthians, through this letter, he brought about godly grief, and they turned from sin. That's the Holy Spirit at work, okay? And so that's good. That's what's supposed to happen in the life of a believer. They recognized their sin, they turned from that sin, and they turned towards salvation. It shows that they have salvation because they continue to turn from their sin. They don't, you know, if they're on the narrow path and they stray aside like we all do, the fact that we are in Christ means we get back on the path. If we don't get back on the path, it means we're not saved, right? You see what's going on there? And so they turn from that sin and towards salvation. Look back at the verse there. What does it say? Without regret, right? Without regret. Verse 10. God, the grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. I think this is important. Paul is not saying that they repented of their sin and now they, like, don't regret the sin. That's not what's going on. Can I get your question in a second? We'll finish working through this passage. I, I'm trying to leave time to get to questions. Yes. Um, he's not saying that they repented and now they don't regret the sin. No, they regret the sin, right? All true believers still regret the sin that they have committed, right? It's like it goes, it goes back to Romans. What? Should we sin more that grace may abound? The answer is not, yeah, you should. It's, no, you don't, right? No, they still regret it. Paul is saying here that this godly grief produced repentance that isn't full of regret. In other words, they didn't repent and go, man, that sin sure was good, right? They didn't go, man, that was, that was nice. I missed that. No, this is a repentance that wants to get rid of it, right? No, there's absolutely no regret over-repenting in godly grief. One guy said, godly grief cracks the whip that motivates us to go to God, okay? Godly grief cracks the whip that motivates us to go to God. Look at verse 11. Like I said, we'll talk about worldly grief, I think, next week. What does it say? They were eager, right? There was indignation. There was anger. I think godly anger. There was fear. I think godly fear. There was longing. There was zeal. In other words, godly grief produced godly affections, right? Or if we want to use the language of emotions, I'm okay with that, right? That this godly grief cultivated a heart that wanted to get rid of this sin. They're convicted of it. He continues on, verse 11, at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. I think this is amazing. It says prove themselves innocent. Were they actually innocent? No, right? They had to repent. Paul has told them they've repented. They were grieved because of sin into repenting. But because of that, the end of verse 11, at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. It's just amazing. Because of repentance, turning to Christ, blameless, because Christ has paid for our sins. They were guilty, but now they're innocent. I think that's the wonder of the gospel. I mean, this is 
2 Corinthians 5, 21, right? If you're already there, it's just the page over. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He has taken all of our sins, past, present, future, and we're blameless. But also just say, verse 11, I've already kind of hinted at this a little bit, but so see what earnestness this godly grief has produced or, or worked in you, okay? In other words, this is God's intent, okay? Godly grief brings this work about. It produces repentance. This is God's grace at work in your life. So that, that's, you know, if, if, you're, if you sin, you're convicted of it, and you repent, you turn away from it, that's not odd. You're not weird. That's what you're supposed to do. That's God's grace at work in your life. doesn't mean you're crazy. Okay, so I can't do a spiritual x-ray. I know we've got a few minutes and I want to leave some time. I can't do a spiritual x-ray, you know, to see whether you have godly grief or worldly grief. Okay, I can't do that. I don't really think I need to. I don't know if I want to. Okay, I think we can honestly weigh our conscience and know. Okay. You can examine yourself. Ultimately, the Lord knows, but I think you can know what's going on, okay? John Owen was really, really helpful in this, talking about indwelling sin in believers. Um, this is a page, you know, I dog-eared it. I was like, man, this is so good. I'm going to turn back to this over and over again. He basically is saying, you know, in dealing with indwelling sin in believers, still struggling with sin, he says, we can know that what we're experiencing is godly grief if when we sin, there's two things. Opposition and humiliation, okay? You might want to write those down. I don't know. Helpful to me, right? If when you sin, you know that there is godly grief going on, if there is opposition to that sin and humiliation, okay? Meaning, if when you sin, there is genuine, sincere, heartfelt opposition to that sin, no, I don't want to do that, okay? You know, kind of like I would argue Romans 7, the experience of a believer. If not, you don't even have to go there. You can go to Galatians 5, right? You know, um, uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the, um, the works of the flesh. These are in opposition at war within believers, okay? And so is there that opposition there? No, I don't want to do this, okay? That's how you can know it's godly grief. And if there's genuine, sincere, heartfelt humiliation, like, sorrow and grief over, man, I don't want to do that. I'm sad. I'm humiliated because I've done that, okay? If those two things are going on, I actually think that's proof that there's spiritual life within, rather than, you know, the contrary, that there's, there's no spiritual life. Does the soul experience Holy Spirit wrought, Holy Spirit brought about guilt and shame, okay? That's good. And I think we're going to talk about guilt and shame actually, because that's also another important um, aspect, But I think if you're experiencing opposition and humiliation, that's actually a good thing. That's a Holy Spirit at work through the Word. So I think it's vital. Maybe this is a passage you've you've known. Um, A couple of other ones. I didn't put these in your notes. Psalm 51, right? Psalm 51 is um, David after he sinned with Bathsheba. It's an amazing, um, hard, but um, what do they call it? Like penitence psalm, a repentance psalm, right? Turning back to the Lord, that's been a really helpful psalm in my own life. Um, Joel 2, 12 to 13 is another helpful passage. Um, You know, in light of the day of the Lord, judgment is coming because of Israel's sin. The Lord says, yet even now, return to me, right? Rend your hearts, not your garments. It's not the external. The Lord wants your heart. And so turn, turn 
from your sin, okay? So having troubled thoughts, this is kind of summary, okay? Having troubled thoughts about yourself as a result of sin is not unordinary, okay? That, that is not weird, <laughs> okay? It's not. You should have some serious, th- serious thoughts about yourself with the Bible open and praying to the Lord as a result. The important thing is what you do with those thoughts, what you do next. You turn from that sin and you flee to Christ, okay? You got to do that. You don't just sit and wallow in your sin. That's worldly grief, okay? Which we're going to talk about next week. Okay, I know that was a lot. I went a little fast. H, I know you had a question. Yes. Yeah. 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 I've been asked to repeat questions for the recording because apparently they can't hear it. So, yeah, the question relates to verse 10. Is this a, a passage that deals with, you know, kind of perseverance of the saints? I would say yes. It's kind of like with, with Hebrews. Someone helped. It was really helpful. I'm dealing with Hebrews, like the warning passages, where it sounds like, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to fall away from the faith. Okay. And we struggle. It's like, man, is this someone losing their salvation? We would argue as a church, and just the church throughout church history, has said, no, you cannot lose your salvation. Those warning passages, this is really helpful, warning passages are actually only for true believers. Because true believers are the people who heed the warning passages, okay? Right? Like, those are the people who don't go off the rails. You know, you're, you're driving on a, you know, I don't know, two-lane freeway or highway, um, you know, through a mountain, and you're going 80, 80 miles around this corner, and it says, you, you need to go 25, okay? Well, if you plow off, you ain't paying attention to the sign. You need to pay attention to the sign. Those are the people who actually do it. I don't know, it's not a perfect illustration. It's just helpful to think through, yeah, I don't think it's losing salvation. It's, I, I clearly don't think that. It's showing, what did I say, like saved people repent. Repentant people continue to repent. Um, it leads to that salvation. They don't have that salvation if they don't um, repent because of Godly grief. Does that help a little bit? Maybe? Okay, good. Yes? That word salvation, there's a sense also that we're being saved from ourselves and sanctification. So it could apply that way. But also, doesn't the word salvation also mean health and wholeness and not necessarily the act of being saved from from the wrath of God? That they can be applied more broadly at times? Yeah. um, Questions dealing with, you know, salvation and Semantically, a semantic range. Um, if you guys don't know what that is, words have a range of meaning. Um, salvation at its core really means like deliverance from something. Um, so, yes, I mean, there is a sense in we're saved from our... I, I, don't, I don't really like the language of saved from ourselves. We're saved from our sin and God's wrath against that sin. Um, there is an aspect where, yes, the Lord is helping us get rid of our sin and moving on. Yeah, I mean putting to death the old man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, wholeness, there's definitely some language of that in, um, in, in language of holiness, right? Um, consecration, holy to the Lord. Sermon on the Mount deals with that. Um, I think in context, Paul is, I mean, he's really unpacking, I think, godly grief when believers sin. 
and we know that they're believers because they turn from their sin. Um, I think that's just the most basic way to talk about it. Whole, wholeness, I think I would get from some other pastors. Yeah? Do you believe that rebirth is uh, possibly that the scripture that where Paul says, uh, work out your own salvation with yeah. fear and trembling? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's, I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, how do you work that out? Well, you're saved. But you evidence that you're saved by continuing to live, living in that salvation, right? Bearing fruit in accordance um, with that salvation. And so, yeah? What was that Joel quote that you offered? Joel. It's Joel, Joel 2, 12 to 13, where he talks about, rend your hearts, not your gar- garments. Yeah. Yeah, Joel 2, 12 to 13, and then Psalm 51. Some other helpful passages. Okay, so I need to wrap up. I just want to end with this last quote, okay? My dad would say growing up, don't take yourself too seriously, okay? So true, so good. Don't take yourself too seriously. You need to be able to laugh at yourself because we all have quirks and we all do dumb things, okay? But I think that's also a helpful principle when it comes to church life and dealing with sin. Don't take yourself too seriously and don't take other people too seriously. Um, Like, the most godly person you know is a sinner, okay? And they are in constant need of God's grace, okay? And so, you know, if, if you had a record of every single sin that I have done or that you have done or that someone's done, okay, if you had that record and you read it, you would be no doubt like astonished, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. But then on the inverse, if you handed them your list, they would also be astonished, okay? So let's just equally be astonished that we're all sinners. I think this is helpful. Like, don't take yourself too seriously, okay? Because I think it's actually key. There's a book I really want to read called Low Anthropology. And he talks about, like, a, a good way to have a better view of others is to actually have, like, low thoughts of them in the sense of, like, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. Like, no one is on this, like, spiritual plateau of, like, wow, they're great, okay? Pastor Mark is not on some other spiritual plateau, okay? The Pope definitely isn't, okay? Like, we're all down here. We're all way down there, and Christ is way up there, okay? And so I think that's just helpful, okay? Apply that to your thinking, like when you're helping someone, that we are all wretched sinners in need of, need of God's grace. So don't take yourself too seriously, okay? And don't take other people too seriously. Does that make sense? I think that's helpful, um, dealing with sin. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, godly grief this week. I didn't want to rush through worldly grief because we're, we're already over. So next week we'll... We'll continue through this, dealing with sin. I think this is the core issue. How do we um, think biblical thoughts, biblical self-examination relating to sin? Okay? You're dismissed.